0: About uh, 50 years ago, Beach Point uh, called Doug and Pat Jeffrey to be the, the lead pastors to, to, to lead Beach Point Church, and it was a unique and significant moment in the life of this church because uh, when Doug and Pat came uh, into leadership, they, they made a point to say to this church that it was going to be a church that cared about young people. And so kids and youth and young families and uh, this church was going to, they, they kind of wanted to let people know this is the direction at which the church was going. And that was a significant movement. And, and uh, their work really continues even to this day. Many of us who aren't so young anymore were part of that church. We were, we were the kids of that, that ministry. I was a kid in the youth group and Doug was my pastor. And, and uh, there, I think the vision that someday one of their kids could be the pastor was part of what they dreamed. And there's people serving really all over the country uh, in ministry and and other kinds of ways uh, because of that vision. And so uh, that vision has continued to be really core at who we want to be here at Beach Point. It's why I think we have great uh, children's and youth ministries, why uh, you see things like our Vacation Bible School and our camps and I mean, they're just incredible. And so, uh, but, to, but to have, uh, to prioritize that, and uh, we have to continue to learn about what we're doing well, where we can improve and things like that. So tomorrow, uh, if you receive our emails, any of our emails, you're going to get Uh, If you get details, I think is the one Uh, you're going to get an email from me that says from the desk of Bill Stafiri. It's just a quick little letter, but there's a link in it and the link is to a survey. And I'm asking for five minutes of your time just to quickly and honestly answer the questions in there, because we are trying to assess some things. We're doing an assessment in our churches to try to understand a little bit about uh, what it looks like to be a church that's growing young. Uh, if you do not receive uh, the email, then take out the connect card on the back. There's a spot and you can mark the e- uh, e-newsletters you want. Put them in the red buckets afterwards and uh, we'll get you signed up today so that you get that as well. But that would be a tremendous help uh, for our leadership as we kind of continue to think about uh, things like family ministry. And uh, I know a lot of you are very invested uh, here because of your kids and because of uh, 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 or maybe because you're young and you're part of this, so we want to do this well. Uh, so we're, we're going to start week two today uh, of this series called Reaction, where we're looking at the life of this unique prophet. His name was Elisha. And Elisha is a guy who, as we're going to see in these next couple of weeks, there are some incredible mi- uh, miracles that go with him. In fact, we saw last week or we heard last week that uh, 28 miracles during the life of Elisha. And when I think about something like this, uh, about experiencing a miracle, uh, it's hard for me to think about this without thinking about this moment that Kim and I had when we were first married. So we were, when we were first married, Kim was still finishing up at Biola University. And I remember one night where she looked at me and she said, look, we, we owe $900 this week or I can't, I can't continue on this semester. Now, I think at the time, the two of us combined maybe made about $2,000, so it might as well have been $90,000. $900 was like, it was beyond us. So I, I, I literally, I can remember this. I walked to the edge of our bed. I knelt down. I, I closed my uh, hands like this, and I looked at her with almost a sarcastic face, and I said this. Here's my prayer. Lord, we need $900. Amen. And I was frustrated. I was frustrated that we were fighting through this, that we didn't have what we uh, needed, that here I am, I feel, you know, this feeling of wanting to provide for for our family and and I couldn't do it. And so I was uh, feeling incredibly frustrated. Uh, That was my prayer. Uh, I'm embarrassed to even admit it, but that was it. The next day at church, uh, we we did our, our youth group stuff. We were working in the youth ministry. Then afterwards we went out to lunch with the family And as we were sitting at lunch with the family, uh, the the mom uh, was asking Kim a lot of questions about school and just kind of like, and she knew. She knew uh, Kim had struggled struggled with dyslexia, so going to college was a really big deal for her. And so she was asking her questions. She was hearing how Kim was thriving in all her classes. And she said, You know, Kim, I'm just so proud of you. And she did this. She reached into her purse. She says, You know, I want to help you guys out with school. And she pulled out a checkbook and she began to write a check and she rips it off and hands it to Kim. It's a check for $900. And Kim looks at her and she looks at the check and she goes, why did you just do that? Who told you to put $900 on this? And and honestly, she said this. She goes, I don't know. God did. Why? And of course, Kim begins to cry and begins to tell the story and how terrible her husband's prayer was and (laughs) all the different things that were related to it. And in this moment, it was like this kind of crazy moment where you feel... Uh, not like one of seven billion people. Like you realize that God is very personal and that he, he was very interested in this moment. And, 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 and we had a few moments like that in our early years. And really that kind of helped me understand a little bit the big idea I want to share with you today. Our big idea today is this, is that faith offers God what we have and trusts him for what we need. Faith offers God what we have and trusts him for what we need. See, I had always wondered... God, why did you answer that prayer? And not others that I thought were a lot better. Um, why did you, or, or other people's prayers that seemed. And, and I realized that there was, as we were, the passage we're going to look at today helped me see some things that were happening there as well. That beyond that tiny seed of, that really kind of lousy prayer, that's all we had in our strength to pray as small as that prayer was, there were other things that God was inviting Kim to, to give to him. He was inviting her to give to him uh, her young life. And so here she was uh, just a- after high school and into her early 20s, feeling this call from God to serve him with her life. And so she had kind of given up whatever uh, her own personal dreams were to, to really follow this calling. And she had offered up her young life. That's the best that she had to give. Uh, to study full-time ministry, as difficult a road as that would be, he had, he had asked her to offer her time and her energy at a difficult university and a difficult program. And for someone struggling through dyslexia, this was going to be something where Kim had basically heard her whole life, uh, you know, don't worry, college isn't for everyone, and school's not for everyone, and there's a lot of paths you can, you can go on. Uh, but that she had offered herself her time and her energy to be able to do this. You know, the uh, with Kim being able to go through this and all the ways that God provided and for her to get her degree and to be considered, uh, I remember, in fact, at one meeting I was in, uh, I, I teach as an adjunct professor there. And I'm with one of the guys who's my professor. He's, like, he's now my colleague. He was like my favorite professor. And he's introducing me and he says, oh, this is Bill Stafir. We're super excited to have him as an adjunct professor. Let me tell you about his wife, Kim. She's the best student I ever had in our, in our teaching class. And I'm like, that's my introduction, really? Like how great my wife is? Like, so... But to see that, to see these things that really became a sacred moment for us, a sacred accomplishment of God's provision in our need. And, and particularly, I think even in this last couple of weeks, we discovered our, our daughter is dealing with dyslexia. And so for us, our faith has grown because of these experiences. The miracle was not just paying a bill. It was not just about paying a bill. It was about, it was about affirming her calling. It was about Uh, uh, reminding her that there was, that he'd made promises to her that there was a partnership in this life uh, that we have in faith with him. And so I want to speak to those of you today who maybe feel like you don't have enough. Um, So you may feel like you just are out of strength and it's a really, really tough season right now. And you're not sure how you're getting through this season. You know, there's days where we kind of say, if I can just get to, and we kind of have this sense of hope that we, I just got to get to Friday or to December or to 2018. And if, I, if we can just survive till then, and some of you are feeling like, I don't even know where if I can just get to is. I can't even see it. It feels so far off. Or you may feel like, uh, you may feel financially really burdened today. And, and you feel this sense of wanting to provide uh, for your family and keep them safe and protect them. Or maybe you've lost a sense of hope for a relationship uh, that maybe it just seems to be crumbling and everything you dreamed it to be. That, that You've lost that sense of hope. Our prayer this week has been this, that you would see this unique way in which we offer God what, maybe even what little we have. And we watch the unique way in which as we trust him, he meets us in our need. And so let me invite you to turn to 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4. And so, 2 Kings chapter four. Let me just help you see again. So, understanding the story of God, we we see that this is a moment in the in God's story as He had He had developed a people, uh, the people of Israel, who would be His people to bless the world and th- who would reveal Him to the world. And they ha- they're in a bad place. They're in a moment where they're uh, as a kingdom they've divided into two. There's a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, and the. Uh, The passages that we're looking at are focused on this part of the northern kingdom. And the northern kingdom is struggling. There are, uh, during their history, 18 kings, all bad. As we saw last week, the kings weren't just bad. The king wasn't just bad, evil. There was a lot of evil going on. And as a result of the evil, that they were even, uh, the godly people, the prophets and others, they had to hide them, uh, a fear of death. And so it's a a small little thing that we saw last week, but I want to just make you aware that that if you were a prophet, you were in hiding because there was no uh, security for you during this season. So it's a very challenging time to to be Israel. It's even a a greater challenging time to be a prophet. So what do you do when you need help? Uh, We see that you have to be vulnerable and share honestly your struggles. And we see this in verse 1. It says this. It says that the wife... Of a man from the company of the prophets called out to Elisha. Now, remember again what we saw last week was there was a prophet Elijah, and he was told to anoint a new prophet, Elisha. Elisha for eighteen years was a was his assistant, but now he is he is leading. He is he is now the 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 head of the prophets. And we see this uh, this woman says to Elisha, she says, "Your servant, my husband is dead." And you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. So let's stop there for a second, just so you understand what's happening. That this, this nameless widow, what Jewish tradition tells us is this, is this is the wife of a man named Obadiah. Obadiah was a prophet. And during the season when the prophets had to be hid, uh, Obadiah helped hide them, helped provide for him. And as a result, he basically used up all his resources. He had to then begin to borrow resources to continue to, to care for the prophets. So if you can picture this, you've got this, uh, maybe this woman in her, her mid to late 30s. She's got two, two boys who are growing. Her husband has now died and she's a widow. And now because of the debt, what was law was if you couldn't pay off the debt, that you could people could go into service for to the debtor uh, and so her sons are going to be taken from her home they're going to go work for the one that that she owes the debt to, to until the debt is paid off it's kind of um, uh, I remember like I don't ever hear this anymore I guess maybe because we pay for everything with Uh, electronic things. But back in the day, you used to worry if you didn't have your wallet, you were going to clean the dishes in a restaurant, right? You'd pay off your meal or something like that. Take that to the nth degree. Okay. So this is what's going on. If you can't pay off your debt, you're going to have to work to pay it off. And so if you're this woman, not only have you lost your husband, you're going to lose your boys. You're going to be in a very, very vulnerable position. And on top of that, they've gotten into this position because they have been serving God. So what do you do when you find yourself in a place of desperation? Here's the first thing I want to encourage you to write down. Be honest about your need. Be honest about your need. Uh, The woman makes her need known to godly people. She admitted it. She sought help. But be honest that when we admit our need, we put ourselves in a vulnerable position. And most of us don't like doing that. The truth is, we don't like to depend on others. We would rather be the one helping than the one receiving help. If we're the one receiving help, it exposes our need, it exposes weakness, it magnifies maybe even the things that are going wrong in our life. And so you and I know, we gosh, we do not like to admit it. And there's probably something about the Orange County image that a lot of us feel like we have to live up to. So if you're in a place of need, and especially living in a place like Orange County, where you should be self-sufficient, self-reliable, this just magnifies it even more. And what I found uh, leading here in this, this part of the world is that a lot of us wait way, way, way too long before we admit and and, and are honest about our need. But this is where our life with God began, isn't it? The, the way that you begin a life with God is by admitting you have a need. See, the, 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 the life that you have with God started with you admitting you couldn't do it yourself. You can't save yourself. You can't forgive your sin or, or do enough that, that, that would remove your sin problem. What you did is say, I can't do it. I can't save myself. But I'm thankful that you would and that you did. And so our life with God began when we were vulnerable enough to admit, I can't do it, but thank you for doing it for me. So if this is how our life with God begins, why is it that we have such a hard time of continuing to live this way with him? So as the passage goes on, notice what she does. uh, The prophet does something very interesting. So she admits her need, and the prophet then says in verse two, he replies, how can I help you? Tell me, What do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside, shut the door behind you and your sons, pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it on one side. So, Elisha is in a position here. Now he can't just pull the profit card and go and say to the creditor, "Hey, you know, she's a friend of mine." Can't you? He 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 understands the way it is. And so what he does is he looks into this moment and and realizes this is a situation in which God can can meet her needs. But he does something interesting. Notice his words, the question he asks her. He says uh, he asks her, "What do you have in your house?" And her response is, nothing. Now, isn't that how a lot of us feel when we're lacking? We can't see what we have. We can only, our, our eyes can only notice what we don't have. What do you have? I have nothing. She says, but, and she realizes, here's all I have. And it's almost kind of making fun of it. All I have is this, the small jar of olive oil. Here's the second point that I want you to, to write down is this, offer God what you have. Offer God what you have. What did she have? She had this small jar of olive oil. And you may think, what what value is there in a small jar of olive oil? Is it like we may have like a pasta party? Like what's happening? Like what can you do with this? Well, olive oil in this culture, it's very valuable. So you use it in cooking or in lamps to burn. You use it as a as a moisturizer for your skin. Or you could use it for leather products or things like that. So if you had a leather bag or a leathery face... Oil was a good thing to have in your house. Uh, They they would use it for an offering to God. They would use it to anoint people for religious service. A lot of value in oil. But she only had a little. And this is one of the great parts of this passage because what you begin to see once again is how God specializes in doing so much with so little. The widow's about to find out that all God needs is all she has. And all she has is a little. And it says there in verse 5 that she left him. She shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there's not a jar left. And then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God and he said, go sell the oil, pay your debts, You and your sons can live on what is left. So she does what the man of God says. She takes her jar and she begins to pour. And she begins to pour and pour and pour. And right as that first jar begins to fill up, she's yelling for the next jar to come. And the next jar comes and she keeps pouring and pouring. And so from one side of the room, these empty jars come over. They're filled and they're placed on the other side of the room. And one by one, each of these jars begins to fill. And the boys are looking at each other. They're looking at their mom. No one's saying a word. They're just like, what's going on here? They've never seen the power of God quite like this. And as long as there's an empty jar, God will fill it. And when there's no more jars, the oil will stop flowing. The oil stops flowing. So you kind of see a little bit of the miracle begins with, remember his words were, don't ask for just a few. The miracle began in some ways, she's like, uh, excuse me. Any chance you got some empty jars I can borrow or have or what? I mean, just being vulnerable once again to kind of work that, that the miracle begins in that part of it. And She responds with faith and miraculously all this comes just as Elisha promised. Now, I don't know if you notice this or not. But you notice this, that she goes into the room with her boys. They shut the door. They do the, mir- the miracle happens. And then she goes out and finds Elisha. Elisha is not the one performing the miracle. Elisha gives her direction and, and, and tells her what, he, what God is going to do. But he's not there even when the miracle happens. And notice what God is trying to do. He does not want her faith to be in Elisha, this miracle man. He wants her trust to be in him. Whatever the reason, uh, something in us keeps us from realizing that what we have is more than enough for God to use. I mean, think about all the stories that we see this, this kind of, I mean, this story is not isolated in scripture, is it? You can think of even before this, Moses. Moses was this shepherd who stuttered, who thought, I, I'm no one that can stand before Pharaoh. I have no authority, no power. And what does God say? What's that in your hand? What do you have in your hand? Tell me, don't tell me about what you don't have. Tell me about what you do have. What's that in your hand? It's a staff. And God begins to use, do these incredible miracles. Moses raises a staff. The Nile turns to blood. Or the, he raises it and the Red Sea parts. Or he strikes a rock as God instructs. When the people are thirsty and water is gushing out of rock. Or think about Jesus being with his disciples. There's 5,000 men they can count. That's not including women and children. Some estimate 10, maybe 12,000 people are on this hillside listening to him. And it comes and the disciples are like, Jesus, great message. Maybe a little long. Time for them to go. Okay, we got to get them food. It's getting late. No, you guys feed them. Jesus, I don't know if you've noticed. We've all quit our jobs to work for you. And it would take a year's salary to pay for this buffet. And what does Jesus say? What do you have? They discover they have five loaves and two fish. And here's how his math works you, you got to feed 10, 12,000 people. Five loaves plus two fish equal 12,000 people plus a remainder of 12 baskets left over being fed. It's quite a miracle. And so we can begin to see that there's something about this idea that we, we always are preoccupied with what we don't have instead of offering to God what we do have and letting him work within it. He doesn't just meet her need. Did you notice this? He exceeded it. Not only does he pay off the debt, but then there's more for them to live off as well. And Elisha encounters this widow, two boys. They have nothing but a small jar of oil to their name. And she finds someone who's ready to experience the power of God. Some of you are in a very similar place. You, you're in a place where you don't feel like you have much. But the little you do have, if, it, if it's devoted to God, He is able to work in it and to do far more than you ever hoped for or imagined. One jar of oil devoted to the Lord is more than you think all, all God needs is whatever you have. And so I want to ask you this morning, where do you feel a need? Where do you feel threat? Where do you feel weakness in your life today? Two things we said. Number one, be honest about your need with God. Be honest about your need with God. And and here's why. Because God is not someone who hears it and goes, ooh, bummer. Good luck on that one or I'll pray for you, right? Can I, let me just give you two. I'm gonna, there are a lot of promises in Scripture, but I'm just going to give you two because I want you to see that, that, that the promises we said last week isn't that God promises guidance. He promises to be a guide. He promises you to be present. So he says in Philippians, he says, do not be anxious about anything. Anyone here anxious this morning? But in every situation, every, not just the big ones, Every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And notice what happens. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He's, he's attentive. He's ready. He's listening. He wants to. He doesn't want you to be anxious. He wants your heart to be filled with peace that he's in it with you. Or take Hebrews chapter 4. It says this. Speaking of Jesus, it says we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. So notice what he says. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in our and to help us in our time of need. Are you in need? The invitation is come then with confidence, come to him, offer yourself to him, see that he wants you to come, that he wants to give you mercy and grace and and uh, meet you in this way. Be honest about your need but but here 's the second thing we said don 't just be honest, but as we're, as we 're being honest before God, the, the, the expectation is this that we would offer whatever it is that we have. Now, there's this interesting picture that, and I don't know if they're pulling from this or not, but it, there's an interesting picture that then comes later in the Bible. And Paul's saying this to the church. He says, he, he says in, in, uh, to the Corinthian church, he says this, that we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. There's this kind of picture that he's saying this. He says, look, what you see is this. We presented ourselves as these empty jars. And the power that what you see inside that jars, the power you're experiencing, it's not from us. It is God. It's the power of God. And so he says, in essence, what he's saying is this. What we are saying is offer yourself as an empty vessel and let him fill you. And you will find that he is enough, that he is sufficient in every way. Craig Rochelle says it this way. He says, You see, when you are weak, he is your strength. When you are hurting, he is your comforter. When you're lost, he's your guide. When you're hungry, he is your bread of life, which nourishes you. When you are thirsty, he is living water. When your life is unstable, he is the rock that does not move. And when you realize, I do not have when I do have what I wanted, then suddenly you discover he is exactly what you needed. So here's our response today. Here's where I'm encouraging you is this, is to remind you of these, these things, that all God needs is all you have. The offer this morning, the invitation this morning is to offer God all that you are and all that you have because that's all he needs. Now, for as little as that may feel, that's all he needs. Faith is this process of learning to trust God. And every story, as you're going to see, these next few stories from Elisha's life. I mean, they're stories to build faith in you. And we're a community here that, as we've said, we're trying to build daring faith. Not just faith, but daring faith to do things that go way beyond what we thought we could ever do as a church. And this kind of faith offers God what we have. We trust Him for what we need. And so, here's what, how I want to end our time together uh, this morning. Is I, I want to draw you into this. Is this is that we're gonna uh, our closing time, our minutes together uh, of singing and prayer are going to be surrounded by a time of uh, communion. And communion is this practice in the church. It's the practice of the followers of Jesus in which we take bread and a cup, and it's a chance for us to remember what Jesus. Did for us. And so in the story of God, we see this that the story of God is about God's desire to be in relationship with you. You were created by an eternal God who, who in, his, in his completeness he, he has complete joy, Father, Son, and Spirit, complete unity, complete love. There's nothing he needed. He wasn't bored in the universe wondering if you know you could play with him. The reason he created you was to share his glory, his love, his life, now and forever. And we see in the story of Scripture this, is that that right away we pushed him away. We wanted to do it our own way. But God in his grace began to restore that relationship. Why? Because you were made to be in relationship and that he, had, he is working to restore that relationship. He has done that. And every story in the Bible, in one way or another, points to this bigger story, That you are made to be in relationship with God now and forever. And so as we enter this part of the story where there are these bad kings, there's this promise that a king will come. This king would come and this king would be the one who would be the king of all kings. But this king was so different that this king would sacrifice himself for his servants. And I ask you, what king does something like this? And so Jesus in his life and in his ministry, we see his whole life was to offer all who he was, to provide all that you need. And in the last night of his life, he wanted uh, wanted us to be able to remember that's what he was here for. And so he did this. He took bread and he passed it during this, this meal, this supper that they were having. he took this bread and he passed it and he asked them to tear off, to take a bite and to eat it. And he said this, this bread Represents my body, which is being broken for you. Take and eat it and remember me. They didn't know exactly what was going to happen, but soon they would know. They would understand what that meant. Following that, they took a cup. He took a cup and he passed it. He said, this cup represents my blood, which is going to be shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Take it, drink and remember me. And the scripture says this, that, that when you and I gather together, when we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we remember his death until he comes again. And so this is a moment in which as the trays come, there's two cups that are there. And I want to encourage you, just make sure you grab both, both cups. When, this, when the, the trays come, grab both cups, place it in that little cup holder in front of you and take a second to take a deep breath. And remember that you were in great need and you could not provide a way for yourself. But God in his love and in his power reached out to you. And he poured out his, he gave the biggest thing he knew how to give himself. And if you doubt for a moment that you are loved by God, if you doubt for a moment that God wants to know you and be in relationship with you now and forever, I'm asking you once again just to think about these elements. Because Jesus is willing to say this, this is how much God loves you, that even in your sin, I would come and die for you. Take the bread take the cup, remember how in your need he has given everything for you. And there's a chance for you then to, to respond, to say in, in response to this, Lord, I don't feel like I have much to offer. I'm an empty vessel though, I'm an empty jar. But if you'll fill me, I have more than enough to do what you would have to, to be who you want me to be. And so fill me once again today to be this person. So let me say one last thing before uh, they pass, and that's this. I know there, I'm sure, in a room like this, there are folks here who just feel like you maybe haven't quite taken that leap of faith yet. Maybe you're waiting for something big, some kind of epiphany that will kind of make you take that big leap. And I would say this, grab, when the tray comes by, grab the cup, place it in front of you. Because what we see here this morning is this, maybe all you have to offer today is this a small drop of oil of faith. There's not a lot there, but there's enough there to say, Lord, I, this is all I've got. This is all i got. And when you're ready, I would encourage you in the same way, eat, drink, remember what Jesus did for you. And let him take that little bit of faith and nurture it and grow it into something that only he can grow it into. And so let's bow together, let's pray. Let's take a moment, Just, Lord, we just say to you that we want there to be an openness in our life for you to fill us with your strength and power to take what little we feel we have but to do far far beyond what we ever thought. What we ever hoped. What we ever imagined. And so I pray today you would increase our faith. Like you did this widow. And so whatever we have Lord we offer to you. In gratitude. In love. And in anticipation of the, the good things that you have for us. We pray these things in your name. Amen. As you're ready. Eat, drink, and remember him.